Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 6 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is Hunter Thrasher, and I'm going to be your guest host for this season while we chat with millennial pastors within the Church of the Nazarene who are on a mission to change the way the church interacts with the community that they are a part of. We're going to listen to their stories, how they've grown in their ministry throughout the years, what is exciting them, um, what are some of the unique joys and challenges that they are experiencing in their ministry today, and how they're reshaping the way that they were taught to pastor to fit the new age that we find ourselves in in America today. For the final episode of Season 6 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, my co-host Hayden and I met with an exciting guest, Dr. Ryan Giffen. Pastor Ryan is the archivist for the denomination of the Church of the Nazarene at the Global Ministry Center in Kansas City. But he's also uh, the lead pastor at Village Community Church near Kansas City. He understands um, not only the, the history of the denomination, but also what it means to be a local pastor. Not only is he all of those things, but he's also one of the premier New Testament scholars in our denomination. And so I was so excited for all those reasons and many more to chat with him for, for this final episode of season six. Pastor Ryan understands this cross-section um, of being a part of our denomination, being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, um, but also not letting our focus drift too far away from the local church. Our conversation that you're about to listen to talks about that balance between the denomination and the local church, and I know you're going to take away uh, as much away um, as much of it um, as much away from it as as I did. Um, this is our final episode of season six. So before we jump into it, I want to say thank you for tuning in every week over the last few weeks. I've really enjoyed chatting with all of our guests. It's been an honor to to be a guest host for this season, and I'm looking forward to the the great things that are coming on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Now let's jump into episode six of season six with Dr. Ryan Giffen. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode six, the final episode of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Um, I am here today really excited about this final episode of this season. Um, I'm here with my co-host Hayden Thrasher. Hayden, Hayden say, say hi for everybody. Hey, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. And we are here on Zoom uh, with Dr. Ryan Giffen. He is a pastor on the Kansas City District um, at Village Community Church in Kansas City. But he also uh, just very recently in the last few months has started a new position, a bivocational position as the Nazarene archivist. So I am so excited to talk about him uh, or to talk to him. Uh, I think any Nazarene nerd uh, like myself is going to be excited to talk to talk to Ryan. But Ryan, introduce yourself and uh, and and tell us a little bit about about who you are. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Great to be with you, Hunter and Hayden. Uh, my name's Ryan, and as uh, Hunter mentioned, I am uh, the Nazarene archivist. I've been at the gig for uh, since since January, actually, of this year. So not quite a year coming up on it. And uh, that's what I do full-time these days. I'm actually bivocational at the church now. So I did that full-time for several years and have transitioned into this new role. Uh, my wife's name is Kendra. We have two daughters, Anea and uh, Zayla. Zayla was just born uh, three months ago. So we have- I saw that. Oh, this is incredible. So um, yeah, uh, and I, I, let me just tell you uh, um, my- 
my ministry journey, I guess. That's my family, my ministry. Yeah. Um, I graduated from Mid-America Nazarene University many moons ago and uh, took, a, took a gig there right out of college as a resident director. So I did that for uh, seven years, actually. I was a bachelor, just living it up there in the dorms at Mid-America. And I really uh, embraced that as a pastoral role and uh, was ordained through that. The district recognized that and wow. uh, the university recognized that. And I, I just thought, you know, as a young guy, that this is a great opportunity for me to pour into the lives of young young men and also to to hear from them and to receive ministry from them. So it wow. was a great during my 20s, did that. Transition from that uh, up to Mason, Michigan, where I was a student ministries pastor, youth pastor up there for three years, got to know a guy there named Morris Weigelt. His name may not be familiar to the millennial Nazarenes among us, but to the generations that are beyond us, he is a legend. He taught at Nazarene Theological Seminary for several decades, taught New Testament and spiritual formation, uh, retired up to Michigan because that's where his son pastors, and so he's got family up there, but he joined a church staff up there, and I, I was uh, attracted to that position uh, basically because of him, just the opportunity to work with with Dr. Weigel on staff at the same church. Mm. Uh, I had some passion for for New Testament studies, and that's what I actually ended up doing my doctoral work in was in biblical studies and New Testament, and um, uh, it was kind of strategic to get close to to Morris just because he had gone down that road. He has a PhD from Princeton, just an off-the-charts genius kind of guy wow. that kind of showed me some things that um yeah and, and actually he showed me some things academically but also about how to kind of wed ministry with that and to 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 serve in ministry out of that learning so hmm. so that was kind of a um you know just an important step for me from there i i transitioned to paris kentucky i, I want to say paris not france time, but it's, oh, yeah. just, it's just not the same right so I, we've I got a paris there. arkansas as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like Kentucky, there's a Paris. It's not the same. Like a, there, yeah, there's a London, Kentucky. There's all these other uh, <laughs> Glasgow, like this European influence there. I was in Paris. I was pastoring there while I was doing my PhD work at Asbury Theological Seminary. So yes. I went down there for school, kind of got roped into pastoring, and I'm grateful for that. Um, just pastored all the way through that. Uh, it was a good experience for me. Probably wouldn't be the the thing for everybody to do at that level, but it worked out well for me. And the church was gracious. They needed somebody. I was still looking to stay plugged into ministry. So it just, it yeah. worked out well. Um, yeah. Uh, then, just real quick. Sorry. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to just hit on uh, your, your PhD dissertation work. Uh, you were, you're, you're a, yeah. a, a pretty prominent um, Pauline scholar and you've been published several yeah. times. Uh, so t- tell us a little bit about your research there. Yeah. yeah. So I could I, talk for about an hour for with just this, by the way. I, I, <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Here. <laughs> I love it, man. This is great. We can do like eight podcasts here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So my PhD is from Asbury. It's in biblical studies. And it's actually uh, kind of a, a, a niche in the guild of New Testament studies called New Testament Textual Criticism. And uh, for the uninitiated, that is is the the area of study that actually examines the actual wording of the Greek New Testament as it has come to us through the manuscript tradition. So, so, yeah, the way I explain this is 
the we don't have the original copies of say the book of philippians that paul right. wrote the letter to the to the philippians that is in our new testament today what what we have are copies of copies of copies so we have i think the number is up to 5000 it's over 5000 copies that are extant from the ancient world this is before the printing press and um uh, so all these manuscripts are handwritten uh, hmm. the greek is one language there's a bunch of other languages that these these books were were translated into hmm. so um and you know it's interesting when you uh hand write anything like if you were to take um some time today and try to hand copy any sort of document there's a chance that you would misspell a word there's a chance that you would leave a word out there's a chance yep. that your flow of thought you might add a word in who knows hmm. That happened all the time, uh, and so of the five thousand copies we have, like four thousand nine hundred of them basically say the same thing. But there's some places where some scribes in the ancient world slipped in some things, or slipped out some things. And in most cases, it's very obvious what happened. The scribe fell asleep. The scribe, yeah, uh, just like <laughs> just didn't know how to spell that word or whatever. So I was fascinated by that whole field. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. You know, grow up in the church, you'd have this respect for the word of God, then to find out that that these were inspired by God through very human people who, right. you know, who mm -hmm. had families and jobs and they didn't have PhDs. They're just copying this for the love of the church. And um, hmm. I had found, I, I, you just read and you find stuff. And I had found a spot in Philippians where there are some extra words that are added into a verse that when you when you put them in they end up having paul say that he has not yet been justified which is huge if you know anything about paul right he's like yeah. the champion of justification by faith so i was immediately like what is going on there so that's <laughs> what i that's what i did my dissertation on and it's fascinating to me like the kind of the hinge for me was was that that extra wording actually appears in our oldest copy, like the one that's closest to when Paul wrote. Wow. So wow. Um, those are the ones that we put extra weight on as text yeah. credit say that this is probably closest to what Paul may have written. Um, I don't know if Paul wrote those extra words, but I know that they're in our earliest copy that we have. Mm -hmm. So I, I studied the manuscripts that are all over the world that have those extra words in them so it's it's nerd level stuff i love it um, but for me for I, a, I love it yeah it, it was it was cool for me so what i've done in my publishing life since then is i've published several articles related to that so how how they may appear in certain manuscripts um, in different languages that's mm. just what i've cranked out so you'd have to know some greek you'd have to know some latin to be able to track with those things and, you know, scholars who work in this field, they can read those things like they're reading the newspaper, right? I mean, that's right. what they do. So yeah. <laughs> for them, it's interesting. It doesn't make its way into the local church, and that's okay. Yeah. But um, but it, for those of us who are academically inclined, it, it's really interesting stuff. Wow. So, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I had to, I had to hit on that for just a second because yeah, yeah, uh, I've I've followed along loosely and I knew that it was yeah. extremely interesting stuff. But I love that. So, so you're in Kentucky. Yeah. So you you're about yeah. to transition from in, Kentucky. In Kentucky, did that. You know, did my doctoral work there, pastored there, and then 
2017 got a phone call from Jaron Rowell. Jaron is the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary now. Yeah. Then he was the district superintendent of the Kansas City District. And I had known Jaron uh, for years. He, I grew up around Kansas City. I grew up in Topeka, Kansas, actually, uh, just as an hour west of Kansas City. And so I, I knew Jaron from, from a long time ago. And he, he uh, kind of roped me into coming to Village Community. So he told me about a church that was open in West Kansas City. And um, yeah, I, I was looking to come back this way anyways. I thought this would be a great place to get back to is my roots. And so, so that's how I ended up in my current assignment at, at the church. And then um, through an interesting string of events, I ended up as the denominational archivist as well. So that's, that's the short, longer version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I, I love it. Um, whenever uh, Stan Ingersoll, the, the former archivist, he, yeah. he, he announced his retirement several months before they announced that you're coming on. And I remember everyone is ev like every Nazarene nerd that I know is like, Oh, that's the dream job. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I saw that, I saw that you got it. And we had known each other through uh, when you were from, from a time when I was doing a program through NTS and we, we came to your church one Sunday. And so I'd been following you and I saw your name pop up. And I, I can't tell you, and I hate to feel, I hate to feel like I'm fangirling, but uh, I, I was so excited to see your name pop up just because yeah. I knew that you would be a good steward of of what what was that that was going to be coming up. So that was really exciting, um, and I I know you're doing a great job there. Um, well, cool, cool. I I would love to ask you. So um, one thing that we've been focusing on this season is what are the unique ways that that pastors are reformulating kind of what it what it means to 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 be the church and you have this unique perspective specifically with within our denomination because you are you are kind of the go-to historian right now of of our denomination so when we talk about reformulating or, or unique ways that we're kind of changing how what it means to be the church in the 21st century I, I feel like you would have a really good perspective on that so uh like i like to do i'm tossing the ball your way and you yeah. you just run with it Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, you know, in some ways, Hunter, it's easier to answer that question from my pastoral role than it is this role, just because I feel so fresh. Yeah. Uh, you know, that'd be a great question for Stan. My, my predecessor, as you mentioned, Stan Ingersoll was in, in this chair for 36 and a half years. Wow. So Pre-internet. Wow. I don't, I don't even know if there were phones working back then. I don't know. <laughs> in, in 1980, man, it's like, it was just a different world, right? No yeah. cell phones didn't exist. It was crazy. So he's seen a lot of change. Uh, I still, you know, feel like I'm kind of fresh off the farm in some ways. I'm, I, I've stepped into this role, but as I mentioned, my, my area of expertise is New Testament. And that was one of the questions that was, that came up through the process as they were interviewing me. He's like, you guys know I'm a New Testament scholar, right? Not a, <laughs> not a Nazarene historian. It's like, yeah, we know. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm learning quickly. I've had some interest in this. I've published in this area, so I'm not a completely, completely green here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's as you're probably hearing from all your guests, it's just a it's a crazy day for the church. I, I'm fortunate. Um, and maybe this is the perspective that I've got in, in my role as the archivist that I get to see a global perspective. So we mm. get we get all kinds of requests from all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And if um, I was just locked into a, a North American perspective, I think that would be pretty limited, but 
um, I think it's tough to pastor in North America these days. It's tough for me to pastor, I guess. I mean, it's like, it's full of joy and I love it, but it's complicated, right? There's yeah. complexity to serving the local church in this post COVID kind of world um, that, that I have not, I've not been used to in my, in my seasons of, of ministry, but as the archivist, I'm hearing all kinds of great things that are happening globally hmm. that, uh, give me this great sense that not everybody's in the same boat that we are. So, um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's growth and vibrancy and, uh, just a lot of great things that are happening in the global South and in Africa, hmm. uh, churches that are on fire where, where ministry, it, you know, from, from, from the outsider perspective here seems much less complicated. It's like, man, I should, maybe I should move to Africa and pastor a church there. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I think it, in, in, in North America here, I think that, you know, part of, um, part of the truth that I think that God would want us to embrace the spirit would want us to embrace is that, um, yeah, not everybody's in the same boat that we're in. Hmm. And um, those this season may feel tough for for some of us who've been been at it for a while. Um, not every season is permanent, right? And so there's a yeah. lot of hope for the church, I think, in this kind of world. It's, it's given us an opportunity to be much more authentic and true yes. in our gospel witness. And um, in some ways, that's tougher, right? Because we got we got to be authentic and true. <laughs> right. <laughs> in other ways, uh, it's 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 right. It's good. It's, it, it's helping us to think through some things. So that's not mm. a real clear formulated answer, but, um, but I, I think that's where my headspace is these days that, uh, that there's good things happening globally. We, we're, we're probably not aware here in North America, just how complicated right. the situation we're in these days, but mm. uh, we have a lot to learn. It's humbling us. It's humbling me at the local level. Like I'm just, I'm having to depend on the spirit depend mm. on my staff, depend on the grace of my church folks to yeah. bear with me as I uh, continue to get my head around where we are. So, yeah, that is a, that, that's a great perspective. And one that I can so easily forget is that, um, well, it's easy. Even when I think about your role, uh, as the historian for the, for the denomination, I can think, oh, well, it's really easy to just start at Phineas Brzee and then just go, you know, to through the North, through, through, through the North American history. But there's such a rib, rich and vibrant um, global church in the denomination. That's, that's one thing that makes our denomination so special. And to just hear, it's, it's hard for us to hear about those things happening anywhere besides General Assembly every four years, you know, <laughs> but to to, to hear from somebody who's a, who has that perspective of, Hey, listen, the church is thriving, um, in the world. Uh, what we're seeing is not necessarily always the, the full perspective, the full reality of what's going on. That's, that's cool. Um, just, I, I think that that kind of leads into a, a question that I, that I, I wanted to ask you as well in, in what ways, like, where do you see God taking this global church, this, uh, this denomination, but the church as a whole, like, where do you see him taking us? Like, um, and, and if you wanted to get into the local context, you could, but if you wanted to take that global perspective, that's great. Like, like, where do you see the, the future? The, the future Hunter is local. Mm. That, that is super clear to me that that's, that's where, 
the winds of the spirit are moving. And maybe that's, that ties into the, the earlier question about what's going on with the denomination. I, th I think that you know, historically we have uh, really focused on the movement and we love the, I love the movement. I'm a child of the movement. I just yeah. I love to see good things happening denominationally. And uh, it's, it's part of my role to, to celebrate that and to champion that in, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be a shift that we're just going to continue to see that, uh, especially uh, generations like, like your guys is I, I, I'm, I'm barely not a millennial. I'm barely a Gen X. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we claim you. I missed it by like nine months. <laughs> we <laughs> claim you. We claim you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. All right. Sweet. Wanna... <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but you know, our, our generation and, and under, yeah, there's just less and less of a, of a commitment to the domination and that's mm. just that's just a fact it's you can you can say it's a bad thing you can assess it however you want but it's just reality so mm. i know at village community you know about half my church knows that we're nazarene for better or worse <laughs> you know yes the other half they found that's awesome. yeah they they came to faith because their kids came to vbs Mm. and yeah, they just got yeah. swept up into the life of the church and uh they they could care less about what name is on the on the uh stationary you know they just don't they don't care they just want to know this is gonna help me get through my week and um you know, is the church gonna be there for me is, is my faith mm. gonna come through for me when i can't pay my bills and when i you know when i'm mm. struggling with mental health issues and uh, you know, as, as pastors, we kind of get that. And, um, I just see that becoming more and more of a reality that, uh, the, the, the focus, even here in the global ministry center here in archives, you know, we've got to be thinking locally and that's, that's part mm. of the why I've stayed in the pastorate because yeah. I think it helped me to, to keep my foot there and think through those things. So we're, we're going to be super local. That's, that's going to be a shift. We're 114 years old as a denomination, and um, uh, there's a lot of pride in who we are. It's good, healthy mm. kind of pride, um, but uh, the, less and less of a commitment to the movement, and more and more of a commitment to to the local the local outpost. So yeah. I love that. So I I, I want to just kind of follow that up with you. You mentioned that um, your your role as an archivist is, is becoming more local. How, how do you see that playing out? If, and it may not be happening right now. Like you're what, like eight months yeah. into this job. So sure. obviously you're, you're still learning the role and everything, but how do you see that playing out in, in, in the near future and in the long-term future? Hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, we, we have focused in this office primarily on kind of the big picture flyover important kind of historical things. So like, like the, the early movement, the founding, uh, these streams that came together to form who we are that gave us sort of this denominational identity. Um, I, I think my role, Hayden, is going to be to focus more on the history of the local church. So if mm. a church celebrates their 100 year anniversary, we want to receive their information. We want that that write up they did. We want the video that they did sent out to us um, it, because because local history is is just as important, if not more important. Yes. Even our even our denominational history, you know, we, I think we've got a good grasp on that. At least, it, you know, from my perch here, I think we've got good records of of hmm. all that. But we don't know much about 
Greenbrier Church of the Nazarene, which we, I, I know Hunter. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's a story there. Somebody with, with a passion for holiness and with the call of God in their life made Greenbrier happen, right? What's the story? Yeah. And I think that that, that, that kind of story about local history is going to become the thing that is compelling to younger generations because that's their story, right? That's where they've lived. They, they've, didn't, they've never been to Pilot Point and they're never going to go to Pilot Point. <laughs> they need to go to Pilot Point. But, you know, they, they're living their life at, at Village Community in Kansas City where, where grandma found the Lord and that changed the trajectory of their mm. whole family history. Mm. What's the story there? That's the story that I'm kind of interested in teasing out. And in some ways that's harder, right? Because yeah. there's only a few people who care about that, and but for those few, it's massively significant. So, mm. well, and I think about our own church, um, and I, I've I've tried to dig into the history as much as I can, but sure, I mean, some of these records are non-existent. Yeah. Like it's it's just it's hard. It's and but but like you said, and I love this so much, and I I I I, I can't even emphasize enough how much I, I love what you just said because. Like I look back over our our history of our church, and I think, man, there was there there's these times of of struggle. Uh, it it started uh, with the holiness movement, even kind of predates the Church of the Nazarene denomination. Mm-hmm. And for a hundred and in like eighteen years, we've been on the same piece of property. And there was a reason that those people here in Greenbrier started this church. And and that that same story is for I don't care how how old your church is, like there was a passionate group of people that started that community of believers for a specific reason. And, and that matters as much, or like you said, maybe more than the, the history of, of the denomination as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I tell you, I, I get the privilege of hearing those stories on a regular basis mm. and they're always good. They're always yep. written. Mm. You know, we, we don't know the names of these people. Um, but somebody did, and those names uh, are significant locally. And the more hmm. the more that we learn about local history, really the the more we have a, like a kind of a more genuine picture of the history of the church. So hmm. it's it's easy to kind of idolize almost like to hero Phineas Brzee and all yes. the that that started this. And maybe <laughs> that's right. Maybe it's good to do that. But you know, on the ground in the trenches doing the work of planting like the hard work of planting a church from scratch super mm. hard and yeah they did that and and here here's greenbrier 118 years later still going that's yeah like that is a story worth telling and worth knowing and mm. worth researching and yeah you say you don't have a lot of records there hunter and and maybe you don't but uh, I have learned that there's ways to sleuth out some things that I didn't yeah. know about, that, you know, that, that they really can kind of tell the story. So, yeah. So, well, and I think even, you know, our, 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 our the history of our denomination goes through two world wars, um, yeah. so many other uh, world war con- or world worldwide conflicts. Um, and to, you don't really necessarily get the whole grasp of what that meant until you look at the local level, how yeah. that, how that impacted, um, how that impacted the the local church. Like I know, and I, I don't want to talk about Greenberg's history too much, but I know like for us, um, for about 40 years, the, the church was predominantly made up of, of, of women. And so women, women carried our church through these, these war times for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, and, and, just were uh 
a true like representation of of the core values of our denomination. Now they weren't thinking, oh, we're Nazarene. You know, we believe in the the equality of calling, and all. they they aren't thinking that. They're just trying to survive, yep. and yep. and and serve their community well. <laughs> and yeah, so it, it, that's that's good stuff. I love it. I love that. Um, so not not to totally uh, transition from the local church to the denomination, but you were at Pilot Point last week. <laughs> yes, I was. So, so what, what were you doing? Uh, what kind of things? Um, yeah. Now tell us the significance of, of Pilot Point. <laughs> I will. I'll do that. You bet. So yeah, yeah as I say that, thank you. All right. I don't want to like throw the, the bigness of the church under the bus because I love yeah. that. If you are a Nazarene who's, who's just caught this podcast and you're like, I don't know anything about Nazarene history. There's a bunch of resources out there. And uh, I know for me, it lit a fire in me. Mm that I didn't know about until I read up. Like I took a history and polity class back in the day at Mid-America yep. and it was, it was okay. You know, I think my prof did the best he could with a bunch of 18 year olds who didn't care about this. <laughs> but once I actually my prof started isn't reading great. it, yeah. <laughs> He's he's taken he's he's taken a class and exploring Nazarene history and polity okay. through our district, yeah. and I'm the teacher right now, so he's throwing oh, wow. some shade. That's yeah, awesome. I love it. That's terrific. Well, you know, it's you you don't know what you don't know, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, for me, it took sitting down and reading through uh, some of the classic textbooks on this, and you get to know the names, you get to know the places, and you realize yeah. that again something significant happened that made made all this so um i was in pilot point this weekend because because this thursday october 13th is the 114th anniversary of the merger that the denomination points to as its birth so so on october 13th 1908 uh the second general assembly took place. So the first one, the first General Assembly of the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene was a meeting of Phineas Brzee's movement from the West Coast. This is, um, it was known as the Church of the Nazarene, just kind of right. several local expressions on the West Coast. And the East Coast movement called the Association of Pentecostal Churches of America. For those who are familiar with Nazarene history, maybe even vaguely, Hiram Reynolds came from that group. He was the second general superintendent after Brzee. Those two united in Chicago in 1907. A year later, they met in Pilot Point at 1908 because Pilot Point was the headquarters of a group called the Holiness Church of Christ. And they were hmm. sort of the Southern holiness groups. So they had churches in Arkansas and in, mostly in Texas. Uh, but the Southerners actually invited the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene to come down and have their assembly there in the hopes that mm. they would all unite together and form this, uh, really, it actually formed an international church because all three of these groups had missionaries in other places globally. Wow. So, so that was kind of the big brouhaha about Pilot Point uh, in 1908 was the union of North and South. And this is like coming off the heels of the Civil War. There's still a lot of animosity mm. and... Um, um, these these groups united in a way that other denominations did not. Um, there's there's denominations that are still divided over 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 geography related to the yeah. civil war. We so we were kind of trailblazers, kind of progressive back then to to hmm. do that, uh, and it immediately turned us into a global movement. So I was there in Pilot Point, which is 
about 45 minutes uh, into the Texas Oklahoma border. It's not really far into Texas. If you're driving south from Kansas, you go through Oklahoma, about 45 minutes in, you're there. It's about 30 minutes north of Dallas, if you're familiar with okay. the area. Yep. Um, so Pilot Point's a small town. It's always been a small town. There's, I think, population 5,000 folks, um, which is representative of a whole slew of Nazarene churches across America, right? Most churches aren't urban. They're, most of them are yep. kind of in those smaller places. Um, uh, we have a church there, Grace Point Church of the Nazarene in Pilot Point on the very property where that union, that merger took place. Cool. You know, a uh, Dr. Wow. Brzee was there. He, he, there, there's a, a hallelujah march that took place after the union. Mm-hmm. These people were just ecstatic when this took place. Uh, there's record of a, of a, of a Southerner uh, who was there who, who said that you know, I haven't hugged a Yankee for like 30 <laughs> years. And he's getting this Northerner a big hug. This is incredible. Um, after they united, like, pandemonium broke out like the good kind of holy pentecostal pandemonium and they just went out and marched around this tent that's what they did sounds weird to us but they were just caught up in the spirit and celebrating and kind of went holy crazy there and so this this church is on that property um uh so i preached at the church great pastor there Dwayne edwards Dwayne, if you're watching love you Dwayne is incredible um he and his wife, Debbie, they, they really like replanted this church. There wasn't a lot happening there in 2016 mm. when they came and they came and they've really revitalized the church and replanted it. And there was a great crowd Sunday and a lot of energy. And it was an honor to be there. I, you know, I was there and I, this is my third trip to pilot point. And every time I, I, I go, I just feel like this is special. This, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Mm. And I learned more about that moment which is so significant for our movement and uh, hmm. just, just kind of stay in touch with our roots. So that's what I was doing this weekend. Yeah. So what do you, uh, this is something because, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. So this is the first thing I think yeah. about when you go to the church that started the, the Nazarene, like on the ground where the Nazarene yeah. denomination started, what do you preach on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good question. This, this, <laughs> this Sunday I, I preached a good old kind of, revival-esque sermon yeah about waking up from spiritual sleep so is this Mm. this call is from ephesians chapter 5 where uh the scripture says wake up sleeper rise from the dead christ will shine on you Mm. sort of promise that and there's there's some resurrection language in there but this promise to those who wake up spiritually that the light of christ will shine on us and that's that's really what we want out of our life right as as christ-like disciples we hope that the light of christ is shining on our lives the communities around us the people around us and um there's something to be said i think from the scripture and from our tradition about being awake and alive spiritually so that yeah that that can continue to happen. So that's what yeah. I preached on this last Sunday. And how how uh, how how much do you feel the need to use the words entire sanctification? Is there like this? <laughs> is there like, yeah. Do you feel like you have to like throw that in there one or two times? I don't. I don't feel any need to do that. Uh, I believe in the doctrine. I love the doctrine. Uh, that, nope, didn't drop that in. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, but that is, that is so cool. And, and I, I think that there's a balance to be struck and I love your heart for it. There's this, because there's this balance to be struck between the history of the denomination, this global denomination, but also what is, what is happening around the world. I, I, I can't remember where I, where I heard this quote. Um, and you may know, but I, I've heard it said there's there's only two churches that matter, the local church and the global church. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that um, yeah. there. Um, not not to say denominations don't mean anything because they absolutely do. But there there is just a lot of truth about what God is doing. Um, yes, in the big C church and all of our yeah. denominations around the world, but also what he's doing uh, where people are in in small communities yeah. like Pilot Point. Yeah. or uh, or cities like kansas city that's yeah. that's that's yeah. cool yeah you know let me just add this i know we're, we're cutting into time but at, at this church at pilot point it's kind of the same story as at my church about half the church knows what a nazarene is yeah wow the there you know wow. they, they, they have no idea they just they, yeah you, i i took that for granted i thought okay it's pilot point surely all these people are are entirely sanctified and know what that is and yeah you know, could probably tell me about it they don't they just they're just people that yeah again found the lord there and love love god and so yeah the mm. history is certainly local and that's all it is that's cool see and I, I i find myself um almost almost like trying too hard to teach our people about the history of the denomination and who we are who what does it mean to be a nazarene you know we've all preached that sermon a million times yeah. Yeah. um and and i i feel like it's such this type tight rope rope to to remain faithful to the denom- denomination who we are, but to not lose sight of what God's doing right, yeah. like right in our midst. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the early Nazarenes, they would applaud at what you just said, Hunter. Mm. You know, they, they, they were caught up in a movement and they, they weren't championing the movement. They were championing the experience that was happening in the lives, hearts of people. Mm. that's what they were championing. you know that's that's what they were going about for they were seeing lives change their own lives were changed and it, 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 no matter what we want to say about our denomination yeah it, if that if that's not happening at the local level hmm. we should we should box it up man we should we yep. should be done you know that that's what we should care about and that's what i care about and that's yeah if i'm if I'm stewarding this office well, yeah, that's that's what we will care about. So, hmm. yeah. that's great. That's great, Hayden. Hayden, what you got? No, I'm just sitting here. I I I I love I love that. And I we Hunter and I both we've been Nazarenes our entire lives. And, right. Uh, so we we feel really connected to to the denomination and feel like we have a you know an okay grasp of what it means to be a Nazarene, but. You know, whether or not the people that walk in in through the doors of, of our local church or a local church anywhere, whether they, they know what a Nazar what it what a Nazarene is or not, or it's their, their first Sunday, you know, if they experience the, the presence of, of the the Holy Spirit and they, they experience Jesus in, in in the midst of those doors, it doesn't matter, you know, if it was Nazarene or, or, or what it was, yeah. it, it's it's it, the church is serving them in that spot right right there in that place. So that's, yeah. that's a really good reminder. I, I really, I couldn't, I can't think of a better way to end this season where we've talked about five, five pastors. You're, you're, you're the sixth now, Ryan, but six total pastors and five conversations of, of how churches are serving their communities 
and doing these out of the box things to to not not just to try to bring people in, but to try to really be the church locally. And and then now we're, we're rounding it out with this conversation. This, this is the perfect way uh, to end end this season. I think Mm -hmm. anybody who listens to this pod, this podcast, this one or any of these others, pastor or not, uh, who, who is listening to, to the things that the spirit is doing in, in all these churches and in, in our denomination and in these local communities. I, they, I don't know how they can walk away without feeling fired up about it, mm-hmm. even in the midst of change and uncertainty that we're, that we're in here in North America, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. good. Hayden. Yeah. Amen. No, I, I totally agree. You know, I, I think back and I hate to feel like it's, it's a wrap up, but I think back to some of the things that uh, pastor Jacoby talked about from Nashville. Um, I mean, he talked about everything, every, with everybody that we've talked to, they've talked about things that would only work in their local church. Like, (laughs) like it was, it was, it, and it was easy. Like as we were going through all these interviews to be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm stealing that. Like, uh, that's a great idea. You know, cause that's what we do as pastors, Ryan. (laughs) Like, that's a great idea. I'm, I'm taking that. But like so many of these things are working for their church and who their people are and who their community are. And that's, That's good. I, well, I want to, I want to ask you, Ryan, um, I, I, what just, I, I want to just spend uh, like five more minutes cause I don't want to take up too much time, yeah. but, um, and I don't want this to sound redundant, but when you look across your own uh, congregation there at village community or across the denomination the, or the global, the global church, what are some things that are just exciting you that you're just like, man, I'm, I'm fired up about what's going on. Um, whether it's your local church or, or the denomination. Yeah, my, my, my church, let me talk about village communities. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about archives. Um, we have developed a connection with a senior living community and our people have really just, it, it seems like our people have really kind of taken to that. We're just like oh. doing simple things. We're helping to change light bulbs. We're doing some landscaping stuff. It's really like kind of basic level stuff that those of us who are active and can move a little better, just kind of take for granted, but these folks, hmm. they need help. So yeah, um, it's just another way that I'm seeing uh, our church become more locally minded, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and that's what fires me up. I think I, I, I will always love the church of the Nazarene. I can't imagine not being associated with the church of the Nazarene. I hope I can do the archives gig till the day I die, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, at, at the local level, I think, uh, for me, those are the things that get me excited. This, um, this move into the community to really, uh, impact people in more ways than just, just preaching to them or Hmm. out candy or whatever we've done. (laughs) We do trunk or treat and I love it. It's great. Yeah. I just feel like we're genuinely helping, like genuinely helping these people who, who would not receive this help otherwise if we weren't doing it. Right. And so we're finding simple ways to plug in, and um, yeah, I hope we can do just more and more of that kind of thing to give us to, to give us more credibility. I, mean, I think that's what it's about is just yeah. earning cred with with, uh, you know, Bonner Springs and Piper and Kansas City, Kansas, and these baser and these communities that our church is connected with. So so I'm passionate about seeing our church contextualize the gospel for the culture we're in, which is going to be different than pilot point and Greenbrier and um, yep. you know, New York city and yeah. other places. Uh, so, that, and I think as I hear stories about what's happening locally in other places, that's what gets me excited too, that pastors and congregations are thinking more locally about how to impact their own communities. It's hmm. just inspiring. 
That that's that's so good, and and you're you're exactly right because um, like that's something like partnering with that senior senior adults home, something only your church could do, um, because whether that's relationships that y'all have intentionally formed, um, that's something. I, I think, and not to just harp on it, but the the more that we get away from the copy paste, uh, the okay that that's cool. Copy paste a Halloween event is a yeah. is a perfect <laughs> example of yeah. every every church has one. We all do it exactly the same. Like yeah. as the <laughs> the uh, but the the more we can get away from the like that copy paste uh, and and really dive into. I use this language. Uh, I can't remember. It may have been with uh, Rob Yates in the first episode, but uh, a commu- when we can participate in a community exegesis of what does who is our community um, and what do they need? What what do they need? And uh, Jacoby talked a lot about that as well. Um, I love that. Um, I I I so appreciate as well, Ryan, your heart for um, for the local church. You, you put something on Twitter. Um, it had to have been last week or the week before. Um, and I'm going to butcher it. I should have, I should have printed it off and had it in front of me. Um, but it was basically if only explaining, it was on the internet. Yeah. If only it was, it was there. <laughs> if it, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was, it was almost like in, in defense of continuing pastoring, um, while, while you're the Nazarene archivist. And I loved what you said about it. Um, like in, and I can't remember exactly what you said, but basically like, uh, why would I disconnect from the local church when I'm taking on this role? Like I, you, your commitment to that local yeah. church and local pastorate is so, is so, uh, I want to say refreshing, but that's not even the word for it. Um, it's, 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 it's just really neat to see. Good, good. You know, I, I'm, I've learned a lot of, about bivocational pastoring and I, mm. I don't know how many bivocational pastors are hearing this, but I have a lot to learn from you. If, if you're listening, mm. thank you for, for blazing the trail for us. And you know, I've stepped into this role and I've had to learn quite a bit, but uh, yeah, I hope I can stay at it. I hope I can keep pastoring as long yeah. as the Lord let me do that. But um, thankful in this season that that can keep happening. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, we will wrap up our time together. Um, do you have anything just real quick? Do you have anything you're working on? Anything you want to plug? Any uh, research or books or anything coming out? Not really. I, I you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm researching this group called the Holiness Association of Texas. This is a pre-Nazarene group. They existed um, from 1900 to 1910 in the state of Texas. There were several of these local kind of holiness associations before the denomination was founded that were yeah. kind of doing their thing. But this one, this one is interesting to me because it includes people like Bud Robinson and J.B. Yes. Chapman and a guy named R.T. Williams. He was our seventh general superintendent. So this, hmm. this, like, it's kind of these like big names in our history yeah. that were in their younger years uh, while this association was happening. They're probably younger than you guys are. Mm. So they're, uh, they're about to emerge as these amazing leaders, but right now they're just formulating this association. And wow. I, so I'm researching that. They took a strong stand against racism uh, at their annual meeting, which so the group was probably all white. Yep. Uh, I'm sure they were, but they stood up and said, hey, we need to do better. And they did that in the American South at the height of Jim Crow law. Wow. It it was like risky to do what they did. 
Um, but they did it. And I just hmm. think more stories like that can inspire us in this moment to think about how we're taking a stand and uh, finding ways to, to uh, incarnate the gospel, even with bigger mm. issues like that. So that's yeah. what I'm doing. I published cool. a few articles on it. I'm going to keep doing that and we'll see what happens. If a, if a book comes out of that, I think that'll be great. Yeah. And, and you just published something too in holiness today about how to read, uh, how to read the Bible. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to plug that as well. I, I saw yeah. that. I saw that and really enjoyed that article. Yeah. Um, so go check that out. Uh, go check that out. If you're listening uh, make sure to give uh, give Ryan all the clicks on all the articles. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Ryan, for for being on our, our final episode of the podcast. Um, I've loved talking to you. Um, and for everybody, everybody listening, uh, this is the end of our season. But uh, I know the Millennial Pastor podcast has some exciting stuff coming up. So be on the lookout for that. But thank you. And bye. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hello, everyone. My name is Hank Spaulding. I am the author of the forthcoming book, Iconoclastic Sex, Christian Sexual Ethics, and Human Trafficking. In this book, um, I look at the complex subject of Christian sexual ethics, which is all the rage in all the churches uh, in the world right now. Uh, but I do it from a unique perspective. I look at it from uh, a group who has been deeply impacted by sexuality uh, in our present world and throughout world history, namely those who have been trafficked, um, survivors of trafficking. And I do a study where I ask them about their lives and how they have been shaped and formed by church and non-church culture and their approaches to sexuality. But I also explore those who have grown up under traditional uh, evangelical purity culture teachings of um, sexual ethics and ask them also about their experiences in order to see if there's anything that connects these groups. Uh, there is, and I will let you uh, find that out um, if you read the book, um, but I also use the metaphor of iconoclasm as a means to help uh, deal with the problems that come from and arise from that study. Iconoclasm is a word that just basically means uh, the defamation of idols, and what that means is obviously just the removal and destruction of certain idolatry that we prefer uh, over and against the very love of God. And by doing that, uh, I take a hold and, and pull down the idols and images that keep us from promoting a truly just and loving sexual ethic um, that is theologically robust yet ethically practical. And, and talk about the virtues and uh, the things that make Christian sexual ethics such a powerful uh, manifestation of the gospel. And so I hope you'll check it out. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Hunter Thrasher. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. 
for more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.